Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Thank you, Esther. Good morning, Calvary. It's me again. Two people said yay. Ushers, lock the doors. Don't let everybody else out. I just want to, before I begin in the Word this morning, I just want to give a, just a brief update and encouragement uh, on Pastor Jeff. Uh, as you guys know, he's recuperating still from back surgery. Uh, he's doing well. I still just encourage your prayers for complete and utter wholeness and healing in his body in every way. And uh, I know he's probably watching this morning. So, Jeff, we're praying for you. We love you. We're glad you're still alive and, and all that. Um, but uh, if you want to... I'm not prophetic, but I think Jeff just went like this when he heard me say that, I'm guessing. Uh, But no, just continue to pray for him and lift him up. We love Jeff, and we love who he is, and we miss having him uh, here with us. So continue to pray for shalom in his body and healing, and just for the whole family, for grace and rest for them as well. Also, I just want to just celebrate last weekend uh, with Wayne Drain. We had such a good weekend. Did you guys enjoy last weekend? Man, that was just fantastic. Yeah, I just, I loved having Wayne here. I just so appreciate Wayne's heart, his calling, the anointing on his life um, to equip people in the prophetic as well as um, help uh, uh, even even release the prophetic in our midst. And I believe there was an impartation of just a new level of, of connecting with God, walking with God, and doing really what Jesus did. And Jesus said, I just do what I see my Father doing, and I say what I hear my Father saying. And so we are, we are prophetic people. We believe that God has, has called us and anointed us in the area of the prophetic. And so we're just so grateful to have people like Wayne and others. And we had Mosi here even just a month or so before that um, to pour into us. So just what a, what a great place that we're in, that we have people of that quality to come in and just just to help feed and release things into us. Uh, so I just want to encourage you guys, if you had a word, uh, if you were given a prophetic word last uh, last week with Wayne, uh, just continue to pray through that and get some other trusted friends and people to pray through that with you, and let's just see what the Lord wants to do in and through his word. Amen. Okay, so this is going to be a little bit different this morning. Um, Jeff had asked me last week, uh, last Monday, to bring a word uh, with you today, and uh, I said, "Yeah, no problem." You know, as you guys know, teachers, preachers, we we kind of like to talk. There's always stuff stirring in us, right? We're, I mean, will you preach? Yes. Like I don't even have to pray about it. Yes, I'll preach. I've got so much stuff stirring in me, and so Jeff asked me to preach on Monday, and I said, "Okay." So I I got with the Lord and said, "Lord, what do you want? What do you want to do?" And I got. Nothing. It's like, Lord, we just had a prophetic conference about how you speak to your people and that your sheep know your voice. Here I am. Bah, you know. So I said, well, it's just like the Lord sometimes. He likes to wait. So surely Tuesday. So Tuesday, I share with the staff, I really just need to get in, get with the Lord and, and just see what does he have for us. You know, I just, I, I don't like, and, and I'm letting you in on some, some vulnerable stuff. I don't like just giving canned messages here. I don't like just saying, well, I preached this once before. It was a real doozy, so I'll just do that again. When we come up here to the pulpit, we like to give, Lord, what is it that you're saying right now? 
What's on your heart for us? We don't just can stuff and, and just do it just because. We like to follow the cloud, seek the Lord. Lord, what are you saying? So I was like, I don't want to just do a canned message. Lord, give me the word. And I was sure it was coming on Tuesday. I think you know where the story is going. <laughs> Tuesday, nothing. Crickets. Wednesday, Lord, Sunday's coming. <laughs> nothing. I got all the way to the weekend, guys. I'm just being honest with you. I had nothing. Zero. It's like, Lord, I, either I've turned from a sheep to a goat and I can't hear your voice anymore, or you're just staying quiet. Now, how many of you know you've been walking with the Lord for a little bit? The Lord is an 1159 kind of God, right? Right before midnight. So I expected Saturday I would have a message, and I had nothing. I got to be honest, though, I didn't know something was going to happen. I said, Lord, we'll either just worship for an hour and a half or we'll just get done with worship and I'll just pray and dismiss. I mean, we're going to do something. I don't know what it's going to be. So I went to bed last night rather discouraged. Lord, I got to have something. Some, I know something's on your heart. And so last night I had a dream. And it's just like the Lord to show up at the last minute. I was like, God, if you're going to give me a dream on Saturday night, you could have just given me the dream on Tuesday. But in my dream, I'm standing on this pulpit, and I'm telling you that I had a dream. Like in my dream, I said, guys, I had a dream last night, and in this dream, the Lord said to share this message. That's what my dream was. So in the dream, I was telling you I had a dream about this message. So I can't really say God gave me this message in a dream. He just gave me me telling you I had this message in a dream. Confused yet? Join the club. <laughs> so this is not a message I expected to bring this morning. And in fact, this is not a message that when I woke up this morning, I said, Lord, that, that doesn't fit with anything that we've been doing. It doesn't fit with where we've been, with, the, with Mosi and then Wayne coming in and stirring up the prophetic. This, this seems rather out of place. I'm not sure this is the context for this message. The Lord said, do you want more dreams? I said, yeah. He said, what are you going to do with the one I gave you? So I'm going to give this message this morning. Have no clue what's going to happen. No clue what's going to come out. But here we go. You guys ready? I'm glad you are. <laughs> Turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. And as I got here this morning, I began to go over this message and some verses. And um, just so you know, by the time we're done, I know exactly how this fits in with where we've been. I think, again, the, the Lord is the master strategist, amen? I didn't see how this message fit, but the Lord did. That's why he's the good shepherd and I'm not. He's the all-wise God, I am not. He is all-knowing and I am not. I will follow his leadership and just deliver the word. Matthew 6. 22 and 23. And when you get there, put your finger there and turn to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Or you can put your ribbon or whatever, bookmark. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So this is the two verses we're going to launch off of. 
Today we're going to talk about the lamp of the body. The lamp of the body, guarding our eyes, which are a gateway to revelation and transformation. Matthew 6, and 23 says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Everybody say the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So I want to apologize, first of all, for not having slides up this morning. Everybody say, oh. If the Lord would have given me the dream on Tuesday, you would have had slides. <laughs> Take it up with him. Sorry, I know the slides are helpful. They're helpful for me, but this is all we have this morning. That's all I had the time to do. So the verses, you'll have to go flip through and find them in your phone or in your Bible. So today we're going to be talking about the eyes, guarding our eyes because our eyes are a gateway to revelation and transformation. Everybody say revelation. Say transformation. You see, God created our eyes that we might see, and more specifically, that we might gaze upon beauty. God created our eyes to gaze upon beautiful things, and even more specifically, His beauty. Enjoying beauty with our eyes is God's idea. Proverbs 20, 12 says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. The Lord made your eyes to see and to behold beauty. Psalm 27.4 says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You were made to gaze upon the beautiful. In fact, God even created creatures that were full of eyes around and within. Revelation 4.8, you don't believe me, it's creepy. Go read it, I'm telling you. He made creatures to surround his throne, and these creatures literally have eyeballs all over their whole body and within. I don't know how that works. But they're full of eyes. Now, why would he do such a thing? What kind of job description could one have that is covered in eyeballs? I'm assuming that it's to see. It's to gaze. These creatures are around the throne of God, and they perpetually gaze upon the beauty of God. That's what they do. That's what they're created for. Now, notice something about these creatures. If you go to Revelation 4, Revelation 4 and 5, just go read it. These creatures never stop singing day or night. You want to know why? Because they never stop seeing day or night. You said it's, it's the ones who behold, it's the ones who see the glory of God are the ones who perpetually proclaim the glory that they behold. You see, we were not created to gaze without having response in our hearts. 
See, gazing produces a response of some sort, in the positive or the negative. We'll get to that. But when you behold something, you are wired, you were created to respond to the thing that you're beholding. Everybody following me so far? So what you behold with your eyes produces a, res- a perpetual response in your hearts and your minds and your body. There's an author named Gary Thomas who wrote a book called Sacred Pathways. He says this. He says, sight affects us perhaps more than any other sense. As much, of a th- as, much as a third of the cerebral cortex, which is the highest level of our brain, is devoted to visual processing. Researchers even have even found that sight can be used to affect our will, which has a direct bearing on our commitment to live out our faith. Guys, it's really important, and you're going to see it as we go along today, that we guard what we behold. We've got to guard what we set before our eyes. Why? Because, again, our eyes are a gateway to revelation and transformation. I keep using that phrase. The eyes are a gateway to revelation and transformation. Let's go back to those first two verses we read. Matthew 6, 22 says the, lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body, right? If the eye is good, your body is full of what? Light. And light in Scripture can speak of revelation, the enlightened mind, the enlightened heart. Our bodies are filled with revelation, and the the gateway is our eyes. And the the other verse, the 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, What we behold, we gaze on as in a mirror, and we're transformed into the image that we're beholding. And if you've heard me uh, teach any more than once, you've probably heard me talk about this passage because it's, it's one of the most impactful pa- passages on my life in terms of practice because it, it, it tells us that what we behold, we become like. We are transformed into that which we behold. Now, again, that can work in the positive or the negative. One of the psalmists says, talks about those who create idols with their hands. It says those idols have eyes, but they do not see. They have noses, they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not touch. They have ears, but they do not hear. And it says, and those who make them are just like them. Those who set those idols before them, they become like them. So our eyes are connected to revelation and transformation in our lives. We were created to look upon God's glory, and thus, by his grace, are transformed from glory to glory. And guys, there's one thing I know about God. God is beautiful. God is glorious. And he created us with eyes to behold him. I mean, just look at his creation. Not only is God beautiful, but his creation is beautiful, right? Maybe with the exception of southern Arkansas, but but the northwest part's gorgeous. But God is beautiful. His creation is beautiful. His throne room is beautiful. 
Again, go read Revelation 4 and 5. His throne room is just outrageous. There's colors. There's lightning. There's an emerald rainbow. There's thunderings. There's a sea of glass-like crystal. There are these burning ones, these seraphim flying to and from. I mean, this place is just beautiful. There's golden lampstands with fire. His throne room is beautiful. And he wants us to enjoy that. He wants us to enjoy the beauty and the work of his hands. And for all of eternity, we will joyfully look upon the magnificent glory of the incorruptible God. Guys, this is our destiny. Our destiny will be, we will behold beauty unlike anything we can imagine. So if God created us with eyes to see, with eyes to behold, and our eyes are gateways to transformation and revelation, and we were created this way to behold God's beauty, if that is true, then we need to talk a little bit about what is beauty in the first place. If we were created to behold beauty, what is beauty? What makes something beautiful? Is beauty subjective? Is there an objective nature to beauty? Is beauty, as they say, indeed in the eye of the beholder? Or is beauty a quality or a property in which, in that which is beheld? Well, Thomas DeBay, an author, writes this. He said, What is it about the beautiful that can bewitch and captivate a person? And just why does beauty excite such wonder? This has been something people have been pondering on for years. What is it about beauty that creates such a response in us? Well, if you just look at the dictionary, just, I just looked up uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary, just looked up the word beauty. Here's what it says. It says it's the quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or thing that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurably exalts the mind or spirit. Or we can look at a definition from St. Thomas. He says, beautiful things are those which, when seen, please. It's just things that, beautiful is just, it's it's something, when you see it, it brings you pleasure, right? There's a pleasing nature to that which you see. So beholding God's beauty should be a normal part of the Christian life. In fact, Gary Thomas, I quoted him earlier in that book, Sacred Pathways, says this. He says, Christianity without beauty becomes a disembodied religion of the mind. That's good enough to read twice, isn't it? Christianity without beauty becomes a disembodied religion of the mind. He goes on to say that whoever rejects genuine beauty can no longer pray and soon will no longer be able to love. So it's important to understand as we talk about, as I'm talking about beholding beauty, gazing upon beauty, that just because we in our flesh think something is beautiful doesn't necessarily mean it is the best for us to behold that. So here's, here's the, the other side of the statement. We were created to gaze on God's beauty and God's glory, the glory of his creation, the glory of his being. So we, but we cannot create our own standard of beauty. 
and then pervert this gift of gazing in order to make it line up with that which God has not intended. God has actually set some parameters, and that's what I want to talk about today. God has set some parameters for us regarding this pleasure of beholding beauty. Now, sometimes when we think about parameters, sometimes parameters can actually be a little bit like yucky word. You know, well, don't don't constrict me. I, I, I have freedom. I want to be free. I'm free to do whatever. I, I live freely. I I live by great. Don't put don't put parameters on me. Don't don't hedge me in. Sometimes in our especially in our Western culture here in America, we're you know pull up your bootstraps and I'm free to do what I want to kind of thing. But the Lord's like, uh, actually, if you want to maximize the pleasure, you will embrace the restraints. Because, think about this. Think about a, a river. If you take a river and you, and you narrow it just a bit and you put some healthy boundaries and, and walls on each side of the river, you know what, that, what happens to that river? It actually begins to flow stronger, right? What happens when a river flows stronger? What effect does it have on the, the stones and the rocks that are in the river? It begins to smooth off the rough edges, Right? The river actually runs with more purpose and vigor and strength when you bring in some proper boundaries to it. What happens if you take all boundaries and banks off of a river? What happens to that river? It becomes a marsh or a swamp, right? Or a bio. And that river does that that does what? It just kind of sits there and grows mosquitoes. <laughs> and everybody living in Houston said, amen. So it doesn't rush with the strength and the purpose of a river. Why? Because we took all the boundaries away. So proper boundaries are actually healthy for us. Not only are they healthy, proper boundaries actually allow us to run with more strength and to be more effective in ministry by smoothing out the rough edges of the stones. So God has placed boundaries on us concerning what we behold. But he's not doing this because he wants to withhold pleasure. He's doing it because he wants to maximize it. So I want to encourage you as we talk today about some boundaries that the Lord has put on what we set before our eyes. I want to encourage you, embrace the proper boundaries of the Lord. Because the Bible tells us that at his right hand are pleasures evermore. The closer you are to him at his right hand, that's where the maximum pleasure is. He is the God of beauty and delight. So you're still there in Matthew 6, 22? The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So Jesus again tells us that as we guard our eye gate, we will begin to walk in a greater level of righteousness, holiness, anointing, and revelation. He says that when our eyes are good, we will shine. On the other side, if our eyes are bad, we'll be full of darkness. So let me ask, do you want to shine? Do you want to be full of light today? Two of you. 
This, this, this is feedback. You, you guys know me better than that. You can give feedback. Sometimes my preaching is a little bit better than your amen. And do you guys want to be full of light? I know I do. Do you want to have the light of the Holy Spirit shining in and through your life? Do you want others around you to see Jesus' glory emanating from your being and glorifying God? Then, beloved, guard your eyes. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, which are your good decisions, your pure actions, your faithful love, your commitment, etc., that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Where does your light come from? Your light comes from what you behold, right? Because he says, if your eyes are good, your body's full of, okay, you guys are getting it. So let that light shine before men so that when they see your good works, they will glorify God. Do you understand the connection between what you behold then you're filled with light. And as your light shines, others will begin to glorify God. Talk about some evangelism. Have you ever seen a connection between what you choose to put before your eyes and your effectiveness in, in, in releasing light into the dark world? The Bible seems to be really clear about that. So we have to guard what we put before our eyes. So the way this works is you have to do your part. You have to watch what you set before you. You have to watch what it is you behold. You do your part, and then you let God do his part. You make good decisions for purity with your eyes, and watch him empower you with supernatural grace. Psalm 37, 3 through 6 says this. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Make good decisions. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. He will bring forth righteousness as the light, and he will bring forth justice as the noonday. So he, who brings the light? He does. Who guards their eyes? We do. When we guard our eyes, we do our part, then he goes, watch me do mine. I will fill you with righteousness, and I will bring it forth in your life. So God requires us to work together with him. This is a partnership deal. He requires us to work with him, which is cooperating with his grace as an expression of his desire to partner with us. And beloved, I promise you, God will not do our part for us. And we cannot do his. Our part is to make good decisions with what we behold and leave the rest to him. And he says, I will release light. So our part, again, is to make quality decisions, to, to deny ourselves as we feed our spirit on the word. And we ask God to help through prayer and fasting. And we use our authority in Christ against Satan. 
to embrace godly activities and godly relationships. And the Bible says, resist the enemy and he will do what? Yes, he will. So that's our part. Our part is to make the good decisions and to gaze upon his beauty. God's part is to release supernatural influence in our hearts, power, wisdom, and desires. To release supernatural influence in our bodies, our circumstances, our relationships, and our ministry. So let's look for a minute at improper looking. So what what are the parameters? Because our eyes are intended to gaze upon God's glory, our eyes are vehicles that can lead to revelation and transformation in our hearts. So it's important that we guard them with vigilance. Jesus actually gives us one example, basically in the same passage. It's the same conversation in Matthew 5. Jesus gives us an example of improper looking. These are some of the boundaries God puts on gazing on beauty. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. So it shouldn't take you long to flip over there. In fact, some of your Bibles you may not have to. Unless you have one of those large print Bibles, it may be five pages over. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. He he says, you have heard it said. By those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at another to lust for them has already committed adultery with them in their heart. So he says, whoever looks, everybody say looks, with lust, say lust, has committed adultery. Say adultery. Let's, let's actually take this backwards. Let's look at that backwards. If you don't want to commit adultery, don't let lust reign in your heart. If you don't want lust to reign in your heart, don't. You see the, see the flow there? Let me just say that again, because I want that to sink in for just a second. We oftentimes try, will try to white-knuckle the thing called purity in our relationships Well, at the point of emergency. It's like, oh, how did I get here? How did I get to this point where I'm considering doing something I know I shouldn't do? And we try to address it there. But one of the things Jesus is telling us, if you address it way back here, you don't get to there. Right? Because there, it's hard. It's hard to deal with when you're right on that edge. When you're on that razor's edge, that's hard to deal with. But what's a little bit easier to deal with is just engaging your neck muscles and turning your head when you're not supposed to look over there. That's a little bit easier than to deal with it at that point. He goes, if you don't want to get to that point... Make sure that lust isn't ruling in your heart. And if you don't want to get there, guard your eyes. You see, just as with those creatures, those eyeball guys, you remember the eyeball guys around the throne? Just as with them, as they behold and they respond, they behold perpetually, so they respond perpetually, right? Just as with them, what we look upon will produce a heart response from us. 
See, we were not created to gaze without response or feeling. Everybody following me? That's, it's supposed to work that way. God says, because when you gaze on me, I want your heart to respond to me. That he created it that way. But when we do it outside of the parameters, he goes, oh, that's still dangerous too because what you behold, he goes, your heart is going to be pulled in that area, in that direction. You know, there are some examples of, of people who actually said in scriptures about guarding how important it was to guard their eyes. Peter talked about false shepherds in the church who had eyes of adultery in 2 Peter 2.14. He says, having eyes full of adultery that they cannot cease from sin. Ezekiel 6.9 talks about God's great passion against this spiritual uh, and physical adultery. He says, I was crushed by their adulterous hearts, but their eyes played the harlot. So just know, and this is a little bit of a warning. As a shepherd in this house, this is a bit of a warning. Just know that your heart will be pulled towards that which you gaze it will. You think it's not hurting anyone. Oh, it's not hurting anybody. What I look at, the billboard or I'm on my phone or this show or this movie or the person jogging down the street, it's not hurting anybody. Just think of the person in your life that has a real need to see the light of God shine in you. The person at work that you've been talking to, you've been trying to work up the courage to witness to, they need to see the light of God in you. It's, a, it's, it's really important for them. But yet if you're over here saying, it's not hurting anyone what I look at, well then you're li- where's your light? And what kind of influence now do you have with this person? Do you see the connection here? It doesn't hurt anyone. Yes, it does. Your light begins to, to go dim. And now others don't ha- may not have an opportunity to see the light of God shining in and through your life. Oh, it's not hurting anyone. Well, it could also be hurting you. Because guess what? Your heart is going to follow. Your affections will follow your eyes. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do this part, but here we go. We, we mentioned a word a while ago in that passage, Matthew 5. Jesus said, if you look with lust, then you've already committed the sin, right? Let's look at that word lust for a little bit. We don't, we don't hear that word a lot from our pulpits. It's a little bit strange to talk about in, in this setting. But it's in the scripture, and Jesus talked about it. So maybe we got to talk about it a little bit. But the word lust really, in a general sense, just simply means a desire or a longing. It's not a bad word or a good word. It just, it just means a desire for something. Now, we most of the time think of lust, particularly as it relates to sexual sin. 
But the word lust just means longing for something or a desire for something. It can be positive or negative. In fact, Deuteronomy 12, 15, Deuteronomy 14, 26, both use that word that in the Hebrew, the word for lust, in a positive sense. It's talking about a longing or an urge or desire for something. It can also be used in a negative sense. Proverbs 25 or 625, 1 Thessalonians 4, 5. But for this particular point, we're actually just going to look at it not in the positive sense. We're going to look at it in that negative sense. And that negative sense related to longing, uh, when we use it in the negative, it simply means a longing for the unlawful, a sinful desire, licentiousness, unhealthy sexual craving. And I want to be very clear, lust is a sin. And this is not up for debate. This is something we can't just squeak our way out of or explain, our, explain it away. Lust is a sin. And if you just want to list these verses, again, I don't have slides. I apologize. I'll, have my, I'll try to have my notes up on our website tomorrow. But Matthew 5, 28, Romans 1, 27, Romans 13, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 6. I mean, the, the list goes on and on to talk about how lust is a sin, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. And sexual sin is also prohibited. And there's lots of scriptures. I don't have time to go into all of those. And there are numerous ways, and there are numerous sins that can be avoided by guarding what we put before our eyes. Sexual purity is established first in our eyes. In the battle for sexual purity, the starting point is your eye gate. That's where we start. And it's much easier to close the eye gate than to try to put out the raging fires of immoral passions. Job 31 says this. Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I had lurked, uh, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, you see, he he actually says, I've, I actually entered into a covenant with my eyes not to look. That's intense. Covenant is intense language. Go do a study on that word covenant. That's not just a uh, kind of suggested to my eyes not to. He made a covenant with his eyes not to look. So, beloved, I want to tell you this morning, each and every one of us, we must declare war on the lust of the flesh because it has absolutely declared war on you. We must declare war on lust because it has declared war on on us. That's Galatians 5.17. For the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. You want to walk in the spirit, right? We want to be a people who walk in the spirit, amen? We want to be a people filled with light in our inner man, right? Right? 
We want to be a people who shine that light in the darkness so that the world may see and begin to glorify God, right? That's who we are. That's who we long to be. In order to do that, we have to declare war. What does it look like for a certain party to be at war and not know it? It's probably not going to end well for them, right? I mean, if I declare war, if I'm a country and I declare war on another country and they go, okay, I'm not going to declare war on you. I'm good. I'll get by. Okay, well, then I'll just run right over you. There has been an official war declared over your soul. It's the lust of the flesh. And it is contrary to the things of the Spirit. So are you ready to declare war on the the lust of the flesh? You see, indifference in this area could mean defeat. So I want to say this sternly. Either stand up and fight for purity to guard your eyes or be ready to be overcome and destroyed by it. Do not allow yourself to fall into the trap of complacency or ignorance. Fight for purity because it's a battle for your soul. So our eye gate, I'm going to say it again. I know it sounds repetitive, but I want, I want you guys to leave here getting this. Your eyes are the gateway to transformation in your heart and revelation in your spirit. So it's important what we put before our eyes because we were created to respond to that which we behold. Now, what does this have to do with being a prophetic community? Because I was asking the Lord, Lord, how do I stay in the flow of what's what's been going on with with Wayne, with with Mosi and with Wayne and this prof, this prophetic swirl that you're trying to stir up in us? And I asked him this morning after my dream. I thought it was really clear in my dream I was supposed to share this message. I said, Lord, this has nothing to do with that. So I thought. I'm a little slow sometimes, but the Lord, the Lord's gentle with me in my weakness. You see, a prophetic community is a seeing community, right? The prophetic gift is a seeing gift. And I believe the Lord says, if you guys really want to walk in this, and I know we do, right? If we want to walk in new levels of the prophetic anointing. I believe the Lord is saying this, this morning is an invitation to get your eyes right. Because the light of revelation will shine in a people who guard their eyes. Would you stand with me? We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.